Welcome to the Moon Boy Mooncast, episode two. I have a very special guest today. Uh, Evie, would you like to introduce yourself to the audience? Let them know about a little bit about your background and why you started investing into real estate. Yeah, uh, sure. I've got a, a mixed background. So basically, I've done a lot of things. Um, I started in real estate when I was 18. Um, I just, during that time, there was an economic boom. Um, we saw things the way they were heading, prices were soaring. I think, I think it was back, um, in 2004, 2005, where you saw, you saw just house prices doubling within, within the year, just every single year they were doubling, um, the house we live now, it went from 60,000 to 120, then from 120 to 250. And I thought, my gosh, this is, if this continues, I'm just going to be outpriced. So for better or worse, I actually bought at the top. Um, but I think, I think a lot of people, they say to yourself, when is the right time to buy? Um, and in reality, the right time to buy is now. It always has been. So the problem we're having as a whole is when, um, when real estate is valued too high, um, it's easier to get mortgages for some reason. And when real estate is valued too low, the banks make it difficult to get loans. So in actual fact, if you, the banks literally just, just, just literally gave gave the mortgage at that stage um so yeah that's that's how i got involved i saw my dad doing it and then i just copied him yeah and um you were you were sort of in the market during the 2008 housing crash right yeah yeah sure can you can you speak a little bit like how how it was like investing in real estate during that time frame um it what was, mistakes were made yeah it was it was impossible man um so once that happened, what happened basically is um, the mortgage rates during the time of 2005, 2006, 2004, they were roughly about 4%, 4.5% the interest rates. Um, now, once the um, the housing market collapsed, it went from 4.5% to around 8%, 7 to 8%. So what banks were doing then lenders they were giving interest only mortgages so you would have an interest only mortgage at um 4.5% and as long as you had enough rent to cover the the mortgage they didn't care um but then what happened is once the interest rate shot 3% uh the rental income wasn't enough to cover the mortgage so then you had all the foreclosures um and it it was it was dreadful because there were people out there that, that had about 20, 30, 40, 50 houses, um, all mortgaged to the eyeball. Once the interest rates shot up, um, they literally lost every single one of them. Uh, there was no virtually no protection, especially the ones who were doing it for investment purposes. Um, they, they lost it all, basically. Wow. Well, what did the banks do with the foreclosed homes? Did they just... Well, um, they had a repossession scheme, so they repossessed them and then they just literally dumped them on the market. So anybody could go and buy a repossessed property, anyone, any properties they particularly like, they took them for themselves. 
Um, but the majority, I mean, they couldn't handle all the foreclosures happening. So they just, those people out there that were buying repossessed properties. So I know a guy who, who literally bought a repossessed property for, um, it was worth 250,000. He bought it for 120. Mm. Pounds, um, right? Is it pounds? Yeah, yeah. Every, everything I talk about is pounds. So he bought it for 120. And then once the market picked up, he remortgaged it for the full 250,000 or whatever it was worth. And he actually made money on it. Amazing. That's amazing. And, and um, would you say that people should buy real estate currently, like right now? Or what do you, what do you, what do you suggest? How do you sing the market right now? Okay, cool. Um, right. So this is the way I see things. If, if there's a choice between buying and not buying, so let's say you have a choice between buying now and not buying for the next 10 years, I will say buy now. Okay. If you're able to hold off a bit, I would say maybe wait a year, a year and a half. Cause what's happening now is where we're actually at, at a position where the market, we don't know which way it's going to adjust. It's either going to go sky high, which I believe it will, or it's going to bottom out and then it's going to go high. Um, I don't see it bottom, bottom them out because I'm, I'm going to give you my logic to that. Um, the government's printing money, a ton of it, and they've printed a ton of money. And that money they printed hasn't really affected the economy in full force yet. So what we're experiencing around the world is inflation, um, like hyperinflation. It's, it's happening everywhere. Everything's going up. Um, just just um, looking at things that we buy, they've gone up double, near enough, around here anyway. They've gone up so much. So considering we're experiencing this, this inflation, um, if property prices remain the same, they're experiencing deflation because everything's going up and they're not going up. But the market will pick up to it. And once it does, it'll just shoot up. Um, so I think that even maybe you could hold off now for maybe a year. And after the year, definitely, I would get in. Um, I die, unless there's some kind of a apocalyptic world war of some sort, then which I don't think is going to happen, um, then I would say definitely get in, in the next year or two. Yeah, because I was talking to my brothers and I was telling them the same thing. That I think that because of the rate in which the Fed is increasing the interest rates right now in this high interest rate type of environment, I think it's best to wait about a year until they either just halt the rates or they start um, easing again, right? Quantitative easing again. So um, yeah, but I, I think that yeah, with real estate, it's a little bit tricky because it's a liquid asset, right? It's not the same as like stocks or crypto, you know. Um, so the the fluctuation, you can't really see the volatility as as clear as you can with uh, with stocks or crypto. You would agree, or? Um, I mean, with real estate, you don't actually see the volatility. Um, actually, you don't see it at all. I mean. It, it, if it does go down, it doesn't, it doesn't like, it doesn't go minus 90%. What, what tends to happen with real estate, which is what I've noticed is, um, what, what tends to happen with real estate is that, um, they don't value it as cheaper. They just say that nothing sells or whatever sells is cheaper. So they say, Oh, it's still worth this price, but nothing is, nothing is selling. So that's, 
that's the difference you have. Um, so they'll say it's still worth such and such a price, um, but nothing. The market's not moving. But in actual fact, anything selling uh, will be selling at a lower price. So it's it, it, kind of people who have houses don't sell them. Um, nobody really wants to sell in a in a in a in a bear market or in a you know in a recession or whatever. They just don't want to sell. And the ones who do sell are desperate. So that's kind of what happens. I wanted to ask you about uh, international real estate and what do you think is the best countries to invest in uh, versus England versus Spain versus a, you know, Bulgaria versus a uh, Germany? What are the, the different nuances between investing in these sorts of areas? Okay, cool. Um, so basically you have um, uh, like, like uh, countries which are more established, let's say, um, yeah. so the, the more advanced the country is, the more stable the market is. So these, um, it's possible to make more money in places like, uh, Spain and Bulgaria when the market's pumping, because mm -hmm. what happens is when people in England or people in Germany make a lot of money due to property prices going up, they mm -hmm. would sell or refinance and then they would all go to a lot of them would go to buy property in these other countries and that's what determines their property valuations so it's not really from the local market because when a country isn't developed its local market can't really um, sustain those prices so they are dictated by foreigners um, so that's really what happens so you're, you're asking me which is the um, what was the question again which is the yeah, the yeah what's what's the best what's the best locations basically to start diving into real estate and well, it, buy if you're like an american citizen or something like that trying to buy foreign real estate uh foreign so you would basically buy in an advanced country so you're buying the uk in germany mm -hmm. in the netherlands in in sweden switzerland if you can um yeah. uh, so if if you don't have the money and you want to buy in a cheaper country that's fine but the problem mm -hmm. is don't expect the market to be as stable there. Um, and it's more, you're more prone to being scammed. Uh, cause those countries, they, they, uh, they're, they're dependent upon foreigners. So there's one price for the locals and there's another price for the foreigners. Um, and that's the truth. And do you suggest, uh, what do you think is better? Do you think if you have the liquid cash, it's better to dump the liquid cash or to better to try to get a um, get get a line of credit from the bank i would say always get a line of credit from a bank if you can so can you if you if what? you have like uh, 200,000 in cash um and you're able to get a mortgage definitely get a mortgage yeah and definitely. the reason the reason you would say is because because why well because first of all it's better to use somebody else's money um to invest uh, and second of all, you've got that liquid cash to protect yourself in case something does happen. Um, so something unforeseen happens in the future where you may have to uh, fix something up or you've just bought a house and there's been repairs to it that you, you haven't accounted for. And also, if you're renting it out and you get a bad tenant, then you've got that money to fix the property because some tenants, just like your own, I mean, I, I'll explain this on a personal level so you, you can tell. Um, so within your house or within your living quarters, if if you were to really, really try and find something that needs repairing, you could find it. 
okay and i'm not saying that in a bad way i'm just saying that, that every house has things that you need to do to if you get a bad tenant and they start nitpicking on everything then those things are going to cost money do you understand mm -hmm. what i'm saying mm -hmm. so they might say oh um this isn't a hundred percent or that's not a hundred percent and you could easily spend thousands so i would always suggest that people have some liquid cash to to kind of help them either with repairs or maybe maybe the house is empty for two three months um and, and it's just it's a buffer really unless you come from like a wealthy family where you can get bailed out then you need some liquid cash yeah yeah and and for those who don't know can you can you borrow money from the bank uh past the excess amount of what the actual price of the house cost in the market if you know what I mean, say the house costs two hundred thousand. Can you borrow two hundred fifty thousand in in um in credit from from the bank to to get no. you that buffer? Um, no, no, they're not they're not going to allow that, really, are they? Um, because your security is the house, so they have a a, a loan to value, if you will. So if mm -hmm. the house is worth two hundred thousand, they might lend you eighty percent of that. They they're not going to lend you more than the house is worth. Got it. Yeah, because that's considered negative equity. So if if they did that, you, there's nothing stopping you from walking away and not paying them a dime. Yeah, that makes sense. Can you explain negative equity for the for the audience that doesn't know? Okay, so let's assume you buy a house for two hundred thousand and you mm -hmm. put an eighty percent deposit, and all of a sudden the house tanks uh, for whatever reason. Let's say the market's unstable or whatever, and the house is now worth um, basically less than what you've borrowed so let's say you've borrowed 80 percent of that and it's tanked 70 percent um effectively the house is in negative equity which means that the loan you're paying off is valued at a higher is, is valued higher at the actual house you've purchased mm -hmm. got it but that's only a temporary thing right because you mean you know the, the house prices always keep going up right yeah, I mean, that might be a thing for two, three, maybe four years. Also, if you get scammed and you overpay for a house um, mm -hmm. or you, you know, or, or all of a sudden an area just becomes abysmal to live in and people mm -hmm. move out of that area, it may, it may not be such, such a temporary thing. It may last for 10 years or six years, depending. Um, mm -hmm. So if, 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 for example, um, if, I know I know of a scam that actually happened where a developer was just buying land um, and he was he was buying land he was building a large number of houses there and then he was selling them to people in London now property prices in London are very different to property prices um I think this I think this place was in um it was in Scotland somewhere so property prices in Scotland and property prices in London aren't the same and then there was just he was just developing these these houses and selling them to uh, London investors. So when you get scammed, I mean, it could set you back 10, 12 years, but that's negative equity. Basically, buying a, buying a house, sorry, um, I'm paying more than what it's worth. And normally that's done right at the beginning. Mm -hmm. So w when the market's pumping, people expect it to keep going up. So people start overselling. And they start, I don't know how to explain this. They start being too optimistic on where the market's going to be in a year's time. 
And then mm. when things come crashing down, you've already bought it. Um, so yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, it, it makes absolute sense. And would you explain to the audience the difference between like a fixed versus a variable mortgage? And okay. what are the different strategies to use? Uh, yeah. Okay, a, fix, a fixed rate mortgage is something where you fix it in. So if in the UK we have something, we have the Bank of England base rate, which is um, interest rate defined by the Bank of England. So if that goes up or down, makes no difference to what you're paying because you fixed it. Okay, so, so like in September, it was possible to fix your mortgages at 2.5 or 2%, okay? So the Bank of England base rate is currently, I think, at 4%, which means that any mortgage deal you get now is at 5.5% minimum, 55 to 6%. So if somebody has a variable rate, it, it tracks the Bank of England base rate. Um, if somebody has a fixed rate, it doesn't. So in, in other words, it may, the Bank of England rate, base rate may go down. So if somebody could possibly fix it now at 5%, right, or 5.2% or whatever it is, and then when the when the, when the the interest rate goes down, the Bank of England base rate goes down, he still will be unaffected. Um, so you're not affected by any uh, interest rate changes. So it's, it's kind of a more um, secure way of saying, right, well, this is what I'm going to pay, and this, is, this isn't going to go up or down. Mm -hmm. Do you prefer the more fixed uh, rate mortgage as opposed to the variable phase, uh, uh, rate mortgage? It's a, it's a tough one, that because the thing is, it depends on where you are in the market. So now I would say, I don't know, probably, probably don't go fixed because um, it's a gamble, you know? Yeah. A year ago, I would say definitely go fix. Two years ago, definitely go fix. In fact, I would have gone fix for the past seven, eight years, easy. Mm -hmm. um, but this year is a bit, it's a bit different. So I wouldn't actually run in to fix it now. You could do, but the the thing is, I I, I believe that interest rates may go down back in in two thousand and twenty five, two thousand and twenty four. So yeah. yeah, I think so. So I'm I'm not sure. Fixing it is a long term thing. Yeah, well, makes sense. Makes sense. And uh, what? How? What would be the process? Can you just walk the process through a little bit of how, for instance, someone like me, an American, would be able to buy or purchase property in England? Um, what would I do? Well, I mean, you could possibly set up a company and do it through there. Um, there's nothing stopping you doing that. So you could just register a company, go to an accountant, and then um, use the company to, to purchase a property. Um, you could do that. As an individual, without being a resident here, I think it would be a little bit tricky without without having a, a company, to be honest with you. I haven't looked into it too much, but the the inclination I get is that you need to have some kind of an entity here now, as a person who lives here, let's say, as any local person who lives here, it's fairly easy. They look at how much you earn and stuff. So that's that's basic. For, as a foreigner, I would say, I would say, use a company. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, would you I, be able to? Go would on. you able to get a small a small business loan? Um, 
like how would that work exactly? Like, would you be able to get the the loan for the uh, for the mortgage? Yeah, you should be able to get a, a mortgage. Okay. I think what they what they look at is, to be honest with you, I don't I don't quite know how it's going to work. Um, you, you should be able to get a mortgage, but they'll probably look at your ingoings and outgoings. So you couldn't be like a dormant company, if you will. Um, no, I think I think I think it's a little bit more tricky than that. Um, because I've never done it through a company, so I wouldn't know. Yeah. No, yeah, it makes sense. And you said that the property, real estate uh, section, uh, the industry is really, really good in, in England, right? Um, yeah, yeah, pretty good. Depending yeah. on where you go, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So you would say that stay away uh, from the major cities like London and stuff like that and more in the the outskirts like Liverpool or where's the where are the good areas to buy property? Well, basically, I mean, if you look at places like London or play, certain places in like Birmingham, they're they're overvalued. Um, so when the market does crash, they're affected the most. Um, so they have a higher degree of um, a higher impact, as you will. Mm -hmm. And a lot of London is is actually pumped by the Russians and by Russian money. Um, so the locals have been out out marketed anyway, so they they can't buy anything even in their own hometown. It's quite sad, really. Mm -hmm. um, I would basically look somewhere close to a university, somewhere close to to some industry uh, where people live there and they're able to survive, rather than rather than looking at major cities and hotspots. So if you look at an area where people have a good economy, so look at the earnings of what people earn and how much a house is there. Um, Hull is another great location around that, the east of England. So that's quite good as well because people earn quite a lot considering how much the house is worth. So they'll be able to afford um, higher rents as well. So even though you'll purchase the house for a lower price, the rents will be higher uh, because yeah. people can afford that. So, And some people don't want to buy. They, they just don't. Yeah. And what would you what would you say the average yield is in those type of areas that's like near universities and stuff like that in the other areas that you mentioned like six percent seven percent eight percent? Well, it depends. It depends. I mean, if you if anybody if any I mean my advice to anybody out there if anybody sells you a property and they say this is a brilliant investment opportunity, just walk away. <laughs> just walk away. I mean. If anybody sells anything as an investment to you, just just walk away. Just don't believe them. Um, so normally, if you, you're looking at anything, anything above 6.5%, like on the rent, is good. Because the way it actually works is you're being attacked for both ends, like in terms of how you're winning. So you're attacking it from both ends. Um mm -hmm. So, so first of all, you're attacking the the mortgage. So you, even though you're getting, say, six point five percent, the money that you put down isn't all yours. Yeah. So you mm -hmm. purchased the house of say a hundred thousand, and you've only put twenty thousand down. Mm -hmm. So you're getting six point five percent, right, on mm -hmm. the a hundred thousand. Mm -hmm. Okay, but you've only put twenty percent down. Mm -hmm. So. So when we talk about yields, I mean, 
you're talking about yield on the, the whole property, the whole property valuation, are you? Rather than the deposit you put down. Yes. Right. So so effectively, say you put down a 20% deposit. I think it's even less now, actually. You can either, even put down 10%, 10 and 5%, I've heard. But the less you put down, the higher the interest rate goes, by the way. So mm -hmm. let's say you put a 20% um, deposit down and you're getting 6.5% on the 100,000 investment. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, that's what you're going to be looking at, really, 6, 6.5%. You should be happy with that. Any any company out there that's um, saying that they're giving yields of up to 11% or 12%, they're just scamming you. They, they tend to be uh, student let out. And the student economy isn't as vibrant as it once was, mainly due to Brexit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so basically you have to rely more on the local economy uh, to, to get your yield. I would always rely on the local economy because um, the local economy isn't going anywhere. Uh, if you rely on tourism or you rely on students, uh, they can go tomorrow. Um, mm -hmm. There's plenty of places that have been built up for tourists and they're, they're now ghost towns um there's plenty of student accommodations that become empty once something changes demographically in in the world mm -hmm. um so the local economy is the more stable economy if you if you bet on the local economy you can't really go wrong yeah no yeah it makes absolute sense and didn't you say that there was these like uh, booking agencies that they take a percentage and they guarantee your yield to yeah, 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 of course. Can you walk me through, like, how does that actually work? Okay, so basically, they, um, they, they, they have like, um, they're, they're just estate agents, really. They're just letting agencies. Uh, they sell properties and they rent them out. So rather than if the rent's worth, say, six hundred pounds a month or seven hundred, they won't give you the full amount. They might give you five fifty, but mm -hmm. what they give you is guaranteed. Yeah, which means that every single month, whether it's full, whether it's empty, whether you've got nobody in or whatever, you're still going to get that money. Got and it. That's yeah, that's how they work. So they they say yeah because the occupancy level is so high, they can't really lose. So if you look at a lot of places in the UK, it's like ninety five to one hundred percent occupancy level. If you look at that kind of occupancy, that they're not going to lose really. Um, so if they if they're making 150 uh, and plus they they charge their um, the agency fee on top, so if they're making say 150 or 180 pounds per month times that by 12, yeah, that's what that's how they look at it. Yeah, no, yeah, it, it makes sense. It makes sense. And is this is this a common thing? And can you trust it? Uh, what's the what's the level of trust that you can give to this? Oh, it's fully trusted. If if you go with the big, big companies, they're not going to scam you. I mean, they'll pay you. The only thing you have to look out for is their fees. So any external fees that they might take, they might hide them in there. So they'll say, oh, we did the boiler repair or we did this. But some agents are more trustworthy than others. If you visit the agent, you get a feel of how trustworthy they are or if they're going to scam you. Um, so I always advise you to just call them up try and get a feel for who they are, you know, before you decide to go with an agent. Um, because there's some really, really bad ones. And if you get a bad agent, they'll just be invoicing you left, right and center. Um, and there's some really good ones. So, 
but there's there's actually unfortunately there's more bad than good yeah no yeah it, it makes absolute sense yeah due diligence is, is super important especially uh when you're trying to do large to dump large amounts of liquidity into something you know for a very long period of time so yeah that that's why i'm, I'm happy to have you in my corner <laughs> otherwise i'd be a little bit a little bit lost but yeah i wanted to ask you too like what do you what would you say is the pros and cons of buying real estate? And also, could you talk a little bit more too about the property tax and how that works? And but first, talk about like the pros and cons of buying real estate in England. Um, yeah, right. I mean, the benefits is that you actually own something that historically tracks up in value, and you use the tenant. So use the, the the person giving you the rent, like paying you the rent to pay your, your loan off. So it's more like a long-term pension thing. It's never short-term. So some people want short-term gains. This isn't it. Trust me. This, this property, buying property and investing property isn't for the short-term. So you'd buy it, and after 20, 30 years, you'll pay it off, and then you'll effectively have a pension. And that's the idea. Um, and if you look at the way pensions are going now, um, you and me will be lucky not to have a pension probably. Um, they're just, yeah, they're, they're, they're basically all privatized. So so that's kind of the, the pros of securing a future for yourself. I mean, the cons is that you have to put up with it for a long period of time to do that. So it's not like you're earning money. As soon as you buy it, you'll be just paying the mortgage off and it'll take you 10, 20 years to pay that off. Once it's paid off, then you can talk. Um, mm -hmm. th there's different strategies in place. There's people who never pay their mortgage off and they just consume the money they make from the rent. But that's a high risk strategy because if the interest rates go up, then you risk foreclosure, you risk getting um, repossessed. So my advice to people is to look at paying their their loans off, their, their mortgages off, and reducing the interest rate. So mm -hmm. rather than rather than play high risk, I always say to people, play a low risk. Mm -hmm. um, now, in terms of property tax, in the UK, it's fixed. So the way it works is uh, you have stamp duty when you buy it. And once you're paying off the loan amount, that's actually classed as taxable as income tax so the threshold here is twelve and a half thousand, where you don't have to pay any and anything over that amount in combination with your job you'll be taxed as as your earnings which okay seems a little unfair considering you're not actually using the money but the way the state sees it is that that money is actually paying off something that you've got uh, an asset that you have which is worth so-and-so, and you're using money that you could have paid to us. So they consider that as um, taxable income. So that's how it works in the UK. I'm not sure how it works in other countries, to be honest. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, it makes absolute sense. And uh, would you say that um, refinancing, you know, can you explain a little bit about refinancing and just talk about sort of the different elements of that and what exactly is refinancing for the audience? Sure. Um, okay. So let's assume you buy a house for, for a hundred thousand and it goes up to 200,000. So yeah. you've now bought that house for a hundred thousand. Let's say you've used 20% deposit. Mm -hmm. um, so you've, you've basically borrowed 80,000 to buy that hundred thousand pound house. 
So now that £100,000 house is worth £200,000 because everything's gone up. Mm -hmm. Um, You've managed to pay off some of the loan amounts, so you now owe £50,000. So you've got Mm -hmm. £150,000 in equity in the property. You Mm -hmm. can now borrow 80% or whatever percent loan to value on that property, which means that you can draw money out of that property to buy other properties. Wow. Yeah. That's how the, the real estate gurus, that's how they usually do it, right? Yeah. They, um, that. they collateralize their house after the equity appreciation. And then, yeah. and then they borrow the, um, the, the loan to value around, like you said, the 80%, and then they yeah. dump it into another property. And then they do the same thing when that uh, equity appreciation increases again on the next property. Yeah. It, I mean, it's a high risk strategy to have. Yeah. Um, because you're subject to the um, the interest rates going up, uh, so I never I never recommend somebody to take the full amount. You know, um, yeah. if 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 you've got one hundred and fifty thousand in equity, and instead of drawing the maximum, um, draw mid level because if the market does fluctuate, at least you're not in negative equity, and your interest rate will remain relatively low. Yeah. No, yeah, it, it makes absolute sense. And uh, with the property tax, when you take that into account, plus the mortgage that you're paying, are you actually really earning yield? Well, it depends how much uh, income you're making. I mean, f- for the UK. So um, if if all your income is just one property and it earns you 12 grand a year, then you're not going to be paying anything. You know, um, you're not going to be paying any tax. Uh, if, if for instance, you're a high earner and you've got two or three or four of these properties, then obviously you are going to be, uh, because it's going to go over the, the, the income tax threshold. Um, are you earning anything? I mean, you could say the same thing about somebody who drives to work and ends up paying a hundred percent tax on his petrol. You yeah. know, it's yeah. the state seems to want more and more nowadays. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I think, I, I, I don't know if I can answer that. I, I mean, it's it's a difficult question to answer because, um, because the, you know, you're earning more than somebody who's got the money in a bank. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's for sure. Um, so if somebody had 100,000 sat in the bank, Within ten years and deflation, he's going to be he's going to be left with less. So with inflation happening, sorry, and your currency being deflated, his his purchasing power is going to be less. But when you have a property, um, the inflation um, based on that is going to be, you know, you're at least going to keep your purchasing power, if you will, and hopefully pay off a house. So that's that's the idea for it. So you'll you'll have an asset that that gives you a yield of whatever percent once it's paid off. Um, that's that's the best you can hope for. It's not it's not really a short term game. This um, it is a long term game. Yeah. So I don't know if it's worth it with with the with the taxes. I mean, if you if you have a bad tenant, a bad tenant can cost you easily five to six to ten thousand easily. And if that happens, then, you know, your investment is kind of not as fruitful, let's say. So 
I couldn't really answer that. I'm, I'm not really a financial advisor. And if if something's worth it or not, you do it because you believe in paying it off and having a passive income. Um, there's going to be points within that that aren't going to be worth it. There's going to be points that they are worth it. And if you're in it for the long game, um, you're going to come across those points. So I think long term, it's probably worth it. Yeah, for sure. Um, you'll be you'll be the winner long term. Short term, you don't know. Yeah, no, that makes absolute sense, man. And I had a question because how I'm looking at the market is, you know, the baby boomers are retiring right now. And what I see in the future is a lot of them are going to move the pensioners, right? They're going to move from these Western areas more out East, more out to Southeast Asia, more out Eastern Europe, because it's less expensive for them um, to enjoy their, their pension and optimize uh, their capital. Right. So mm-hmm. what do you, what do you think about this? And in terms of the real estate prices out East and Eastern Europe in Southeast Asia, do you think, do you, what do you think about this prediction that I have in the next 10, 15 years, um, all these uh, pensioners, you know, not being able to, their pension not being able to keep up with the rate of inflation. Okay, so so anything in the market that does happen, it's it's always temporary. So let's assume that let's assume that does happen, and all these pensioners move to Southeast Asia or, or less expensive countries. Mm-hmm. Uh, within five to six years, those less expensive countries will be equally as expensive, if not more expensive, than where they left. <laughs> so you're not winning. So if if you think about it, um, that's what happens. So if if for instance, I know that um, you know there's, there's locations in Spain, there's locations in uh, in Greece and in Cyprus, which they're more expensive than than actually living somewhere in Germany. Mm-hmm. You know, so on the end of the day, if if your prediction does happen, where where all these rich people move from one country to another country because it's cheaper, um, it won't remain cheaper for very long. So depending yeah. on how, how many how many go in. So if there isn't many tourists, if there isn't many people moving across, it could stay cheaper. But if there's, if there's a lot of them and they have a lot of money, they will be the ones to determine in the market and it won't remain cheap for very long. Yeah, yeah that's, what I'm, that's what I'm assuming. So that's why I'm thinking... Don't you think it would be wise to maybe get property out Southeast Asia, Eastern Europe, as we see, you know, more and more people migrating? Also, the digital nomad culture, too, as well, is becoming a huge thing. People working remotely, um, you know, working in these cheaper areas like Bali, like, you know, Eastern Europe, South America. Don't you think it would be lucrative to buy property then uh, in these areas, even though there may be a little bit of more economic instability, you know, in the next three, four, five years? Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know what to say to you. Um, yeah, I mean, if you want to buy now, it's, it's always safer to buy now and wait for people to, to, to move. Once people have moved and everything goes up, the game's over. The only issue you're having is, is who to trust when you buy stuff over there. It's Mm -hmm. not as easy as just going in and buying it. Um, like these countries are dependent on foreigners foreigners generally get scammed um so you've got to be really really careful yeah all right um listen can can we do this um can we do this again tomorrow 
Yeah, yeah, we can do it again uh, on another pod, you know, so we can continue on with the, with more questions and stuff like that. Yeah, I know you got to get going and stuff like that. So, but this has been really, really good and informative, you know. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, we we should um, we should definitely start start doing more of these. Um, I don't know if if what I said is helpful or not. I have no idea. Um, and I'm not really an optimistic person to the say I'm not, I'm not going to sell somebody down some river. Um, that's not the way I work. Um, so I just say it how it is. It might not sound the best. Mm-hmm. It might not be super motivated and, you know, you should do this now. Um, mm-hmm. But then again, I feel if you listen to those people, you're, you're, you're the first one to pay the price. So for me, it's just saying it how it is. And hopefully people can make their decision from there. Yeah, no, it's it's honest, man. Like that's what we need is honesty, transparency, and integrity. So that's that's one thing that you have, and yeah, that's why I decided to bring you on, man. So, um, guys, uh, this concludes the second episode of the Moonboy Mooncast. I hope you guys enjoyed it, and peace. 